It's seven o'clock, let us begin our Dhamma talk as usual by first paying homage to the Buddha, then by taking refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, and finally we'll take the eight precepts. Sekapa Dhamma Samadhi Yami 
Abramacharya Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Musavada Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Sura Miraya Majapamadatana Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Vikala Bhojana Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Natcha Gita Vadita Vitsukadasana Malaganda Vilipana Dharana Manana Vibhusanatana Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Uchasayana Mahasayana Viramani Sekapadam Samadhyami Idamisilam Magga Fala Nyanasa Pachayo Hotu Apamadina somebody Topic of our discourse certainly this evening is attitudes do matter. Now, an attitude itself is something terribly tangible. It's not, not really. It is a mental, uh, mental uh, thing, mental. This mental aspect that certainly very much has an influence on our practice and how we practice. Though we may be following the schedule, observing the precepts, restraining the senses, observing noble silence and following the Satipatthana instructions, yet our meditation practice may not be unfolding. The reason for this might be that our attitude towards the practice and 
we could add to this our attitude towards ourselves and our attitude towards our um, towards others is not quite helpful. Now, what we shall do is, in the course of this certain discourse, together explore attitudes that attitudes towards uh, um, the practice, attitudes towards the observation of predominant objects, towards ourselves and others that are not helpful. And to start uh, with one, and then you'll see how it certainly goes, we have, for instance, on occasion, a certain goal orientation, like you know, wanting to realize certain of the peace of Nibbana within two weeks, or our practice certainly might be influenced by an attempt to recreate pleasant, past pleasant experiences, or it could be that we're trying to hold on to certain pleasant experiences, or we you know, try to uh, crave for uh, past certain pleasant experiences. We might further notice that there are high expectations present, or an anticipation of what might happen next, or you know, subtle wishes and desires are there. Now, this kind of an attitude is based in which mental factor? Obviously, greed. And uh, the Pali term for this is loba. Now, to proceed in a somewhat certain systematic manner, it happens that on occasion a retreatant is trying to get rid of certain unpleasant experiences, is resisting difficult experiences, is even demonstrating resistance towards the teachers, towards the method, towards the place, and certainly towards uh, uh, various objects of observation. Or there might be uh, even some impatience with certain experiences. Now, this attitude, these aspects, speak of what kind of an attitude which is based in which mental factor? Dosa. There you go. Dosa, ill will, anger, um, and the like. Would you have anything to add, certainly, to what has been said? 
surely there must be attitudes based on delusion that you haven't explored with us yet. Uh, yeah, so no, we'll get to this in a moment. No, but I mean no, with regard to uh, ill will, an attitude that is governed by ill will. Anything else? If not, otherwise, if you have something, please do tell me. I'll happily add it. Now, the next uh, aspect is as follows. A retreatant is observing predominant, uh, uh, is labeling, observing predominant objects that naturally occur in the course of uh, a sitting session or a walking session and yet ends up being totally confused, bewildered and uh, not understanding what is happening. Now, here we look at what? Delusion. Obviously, delusion. And so certain experiences are there, but mm, one is not really mm, clearly understanding what is happening. On occasion, it, and actually there are plenty of such occasions, it could happen that a retreatant does the practice, but with a frequent tinge of I am, I am better than my fellow yogis, or I am equal to my fellow yogis, or feeling uh, uh, inferior to uh, the uh, fellow yogis. Or it might happen that such an I am guy hears uh, or is given certain instructions during the interview and certainly this certain yogi will then get up and think to himself or herself, well, uh, these instructions are um, insulting to my intelligence and I'm not going to follow them. And I know much better. Now, out of this speaks much wholesomeness. Would you say so? Which, which mental factor governs this attitude? Bunk? Delusion? More specifically? Conceit. Ah, there you go. Conceit. Pride and conceit. So, another way this sometimes uh, happens is, oh, I know these instructions already, no need to uh, listen carefully. Or, in uh, this one, attending a Dhamma discourse, then thinking to oneself, oh, this topic already, I know this very well, and uh, I'll uh, take the liberty uh, instead with eyes closed uh, to go off into uh, dreamland. 
in certain or a land of imagination. What about uh, and, and behavior that mental behavior that is governed by pride and conceit, such as competition? So, seeing this meditation practice as um, a competition, like uh, maybe hoping for some award and the like, and, or maybe a certificate at certain the end of the retreat, Marcy, and maybe we should certainly start this. <laughs> now, competition and certainly seeing one's fellow, fellow retreatants as competitors is the greatest idea. It's not. Now, you wouldn't believe it, but there are still other attitudes that are very common among the retreatants. And here comes one that you might, or that might be easy for you to spot. Namely, in the meditation hall, uh, at the beginning of uh, the retreat, you've uh, selected your seat for the retreat. And here comes a fellow retreatant and thinks to himself, well, you know, this seating order is not to my liking. I will change it. I'll sit in someone else's place. And the original person then shows up, sees what is happening and says, my seat has been, my seat, my mat in the meditation hall has been occupied by a fellow retreatant. Or in the walking meditation, you've chosen your path for your you know, walking meditation, and some other yogi uh, dare crisscross you know, with your path. And certainly, so there is this strong sense of my walking path. Now, what lies behind this kind of an attitude? What would you say? This is a bit more difficult. A little bit of self. What's that? A little bit of self. A little bit of self. And this is typically rooted in which mental factor? Ignorance. Ignorance, ignorance to some extent. And more specifically? Sakya Deity. Huh? Sakya uh, that's correct. So, the wrongful belief in the existence of a self. So, such type of yogis tend to adopt a rather ego-centered attitude and they tend to be somewhat pushy in the practice. They tend to manipulate their experiences and suddenly then you know, they think of their practice as my practice 
my mat in the meditation hall, my seat in the dining hall for the meals, dare not, nobody else take my seat. And um, And such kind of Vatna yogis might Satna also uh, plan out Satna their uh, practice, you know, thinking, so setting deadlines uh, by such and such a date, I should uh, be experiencing such and such an insight knowledge, etc., etc. Now, this kind of practicing with an ego centered attitude. Is this Satna really compatible with Satipatthana practice or not? Jeremy, would you say yes, no? The answer is, the obvious answer is no. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, now, as we keep Putna practicing, we will gradually, as our intuitive wisdom deepens, we will gradually come you know, to understand that formations occur of their own accord. And there's simply no need to manipulate and certainly you know, to you know, control you know, things. Now, There are no retreatants who grow up in an, uh, an environment where critical thinking is very much uh, uh, rewarded and is very uh, welcome. And when such retreatants yeah, then come on a uh, retreat. Every single instruction given, every single Dhamma talk given, just about everything becomes an object of intense skepticism. And uh, this oftentimes certainly also well, involve some comparing and uh, bringing in other you know, concepts. And this then may also lead to some skepticism with regard to one's own ability you know, to practice. It may further lead to having little regard for uh, the mindfulness meditation, for you know, this Buddha's Dhamma, etc. Now, what would you say lies behind this kind of an attitude? Restlessness and doubt. Restlessness and doubt, in particular, the skeptical doubt. There you go. Now, Practicing with uh, 
concept with a constant attitude of criticism, of skepticism, is this truly helpful for our own practice or not? Would you say so, David? No. Not. And experience shows when a retreatant, a highly skeptical retreatant, does the practice, and and the retreatant with much faith in the practice does the practice, and they both start more or less at the same time, then typically who will have quicker uh, or more profound development in the practice within a given uh, period of time? Obviously, the second person, the latter one. And it makes a huge difference. And oftentimes, the experience in Burma and Satna elsewhere shows that oftentimes it's the women who uh, approach mindfulness meditation with mm, some or uh, sometimes a lot of faith and confidence and trust in the practice and in themselves, whereas it's the men who tend to be rather critical. And any instruction given, they will uh, subject it to their intellectual analysis. And as a result of this particular mental attitude, it will slow down their practice. It will take a long time before such Shatna yogis will be able to uh, accept instructions and wholeheartedly put them into uh, practice. Now, At times, inexperienced that the retreatants come on the retreat, not certainly really knowing what mindfulness practice is all about. They see it more as a hobby, as a vacation activity, and certainly their attitude towards the practice is accordingly. And so when they practice, they practice in an easygoing manner, casual. Uh, on occasion they'll miss a sit, on occasion they'll miss a walking session, no problem. And so they you know, put their notebook in one place, suddenly they walk away, forget it, find it maybe three days later. And so are rather inattentive, are rather slack, unconcerned, with a neglectful or negligent attitude towards practice. Now, would you like to adopt such kind of an attitude? Anyone here? <laughs> well, fortunately not. Now, what stands or what lies behind this kind of an attitude? 
Sloth and Torpor, and? Sloth and Torpor. Sloth and Torpor. What's that? Heedlessness. Heedlessness. There you go. Primarily that, although uh, some degree of laziness is also present. Now, it's heedlessness, in other words, absent-mindedness. Uh, wrongful, wrongful mindfulness. Heedless, the Pali term for heedlessness is pamada, and certainly the Pali term for wrong mindfulness would be mitcha sati. Now, since, as you would know by now, since mindfulness is such a vital factor, we do want to make sure that suddenly we then adopt an attitude that is uh, uh, governed by a proper understanding of uh, uh, mindfulness or a proper attitude uh, towards suddenly uh, the practice. Now, exerting effort in this mindfulness meditation based on the Satipatthana Sutta. So exerting effort is great, but if there's too much of it, excessive effort, or if there's too little of it, and so one is practicing with a lazy attitude, unwilling to put in effort, being rather idle, inactive, etc. Well, this is not going to work. On the other hand, being gung-ho in terms of one's meditation and then practicing with an attitude of excessive effort or excessive commitment, this will not work either. And so we do need to find, and maybe to give you some manifestation of excessive energy, namely getting all tensed up, willfully practicing through the whole night, thinking that this, you know, that this is uh, uh, absolutely required. Some retreatants by nature are somewhat agitated due to restlessness or due to uh, worries, frequent worries, and they then think it's perfectly all right to do the practice with such an agitated attitude. Thinking it's perfectly all right to change one's posture every now and then, and to open the eyes, check out what the other yogis are doing, etc. Then we might, on occasion, there might be retreatants who 
still don't quite fathom you know, the importance of ethical conduct and certainly then you know, think to themselves, well, um, I'm hungry now in certainly so uh, I'll just go over to the you know, kitchen and prepare myself a meal. What would you say? Which uh, mental factor lies behind this? At five o'clock in the afternoon. Greed. Greed, for one thing, and beyond that? More, heed more heedlessness. Uh, more heedlessness, okay. Still further? Sense of self. A sense of self. What about Ahirika, which translates in, in, into English as shamelessness? And certainly one is, uh, or there's one's uh, uh, conduct is uh, characterized by an utter lack of uh, that disgust towards unwholesome um, bodily and unwholesome uh, verbal conduct. Now, there may be a similar situation where one is practicing with an attitude of, oh, never mind, if someone comes and you know, finds me preparing my meal at uh, maybe now at midnight and maybe a bit better. <laughs> Um, then this bespeaks of an attitude that is rooted in fearlessness of wrongdoing. So totally fearless of the consequences, fearless of um, the consequences for uh, others. The shamelessness has to do with uh, mm, uh, the proximate cause for shamelessness is mm, no respect for oneself and the proximate cause for fearlessness of wrongdoing is no uh, respect certainly for others. Now, there's a discourse that many of you will be familiar with and uh, the first two stanzas, the first two gathas in the Pali scriptural language go as follows. Karaniyam atakusalena yamtam santam padam abhisamecha sakko ujucha suhujucha suvacho chasa mudu anadimani santusako cha subaro cha apakicho cha saloka wuti Sant interior cha nipako cha apakabo kulisu ananukido. The English translation is as follows. One skilled in good wishing to attain that state of peace should act thus. One should be able one should be straight, one should be upright, or uh, very upright, 
obedient, gentle, and humble. In the second circumstance, uh, uh, translated into English, goes as follows, one should be content, easy to support, with few duties, living lightly, controlled in senses, discreet, not impudent, unattached to families. Now, the qualities that are mentioned here are qualities that you think might be useful or not. Uh, very useful. Uh, there you go. And actually, the first stanza says, wishing to attain that state of peace. The state of peace is nothing other than Nibbana. There you go. And so, a person wishing to attain that state of peace, of Nibbana, should then uh, conduct himself or herself in the following way. Sakko. The Pali adjective Sakko translates as able, competent, possible, and here it would certainly as a full send or, or we could translate it properly as one you know, should certainly be uh, competent. Uh, sorry. Capable would be another uh, way of uh, expressing this. Now, this discourse, or this part of the discourse, is based on a discourse that originally the Venerable Nisad Usasana, a long-term disciple of the Venerable Sad U Pandita Bhivansa, gave many, many, many years ago at Satna the Pandita Rama Shwedangon Nisasana Yekta. And he explained uh, these uh, uh, 14 qualities as follows. To be capable means a person who practices sila must have faith that such a practice is beneficial and the main benefit is that of non-remorse. Otherwise, one wouldn't want to practice virtuous conduct. One needs to be further a person who has, um, who is uh, uh, willing to exert such effort. One needs to be healthy in order to observe the precepts. It's not always uh, that easy when one is sick. And then those 
without intelligence won't you know, be in a position or capable to practice certain sila, so certain you know, degree or, or you know, some degree of intelligence is necessary. A person who fulfills or is endowed with these four aspects and the proper order is having faith that this uh, you know, virtuous conduct is beneficial. Number two, you know, being healthy. Number three, you know, exerting the necessary effort. And number four, you know, then you know, possessing uh, intelligence. Possessing these four qualities, we are considered you know, to be capable. Capable of doing the practice. Then, the Pali term Uju translates as upright or could translate as straightforward. Venerabhikkhu Bodhi um, proposes uh, the following, namely, possessed of integrity. And when it comes to practicing virtuous conduct, observing you know, the precepts, one clearly you know, needs to be, uh, one should be upright. Or, one differently expressed, one needs uh, honesty. Now, there is a mental factor that uh, reflects uh, this very uprightness. And in the Pali scriptural language, it is known as Ujukata. And the characteristic, and, and Ujukata translates as uh, uprightness or uh, rectitude. And this rectitude is of a, is twofold, namely rectitude of the mental body and rectitude of consciousness. Its characteristic is that of the uprightness of the mental body and consciousness, respect, respectively. Its function is to crush any kind of trickiness or torturousness of the mental body and consciousness. And its manifestation is as non-crookedness. It should be regarded as opposed to hypocrisy and fraudulence which create crookedness in the mental body and certain consciousness. And this mental factor of ujukata is associated with all beautiful consciousness. Now, as for the third quality, this is given as suju, consisting of two parts in Pali, namely su and uju. 
and certainly this translates as very upright. Sutuju is the does the commentary explain. One should be perfectly upright or very upright. One needs a lots of honesty to practice the Dhamma. Why is that? Because those who do not reveal the truth to their teachers will and who hide certain certain important facts well they won't receive proper guidance and it's difficult to give proper guidance. So such retreatants are could be considered as lacking uprightness. They're not ready for the practice of the wise. If a yogi does not report to the truth, that does not report the truth to the meditation teacher, then it is difficult for the meditation teacher to assess you know, the retreatant's practice and to give proper advice. Such a meditator may easily slip off the correct satna path. Therefore, the Buddha very much stressed the importance of honesty. The importance of both factors, uju and suju. So being a rectitude, upright, as well as being perfectly upright. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivamsa in this regard, in regard to uprightness, typically would give the following example. When during a practice meeting, a retreatant reports, oh, it's so easy for me, it was so easy for me to stay with the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And then the teacher asks, well, how long did you manage to stay with the rise and fall? In a continuous manner, without a single thought crossing your mind. And then the retreatant, with much self-confidence, answers, five minutes. And? Is this realistic or not? It's anything but certainly realistic. So, from experience, we will know that it's already difficult to stay with one single rising movement or with one single falling movement without the mind suddenly going off. And uh, even and suddenly then to be truly in a continuous manner mindful of the rising and falling movement, even for a minute, is pretty uh, difficult. No. The Venerable Sadhu Sasna gave a beautiful illustration for practicing with or without Uju and Satna Suju. Namely, an outstanding artist using 
excellent certain first-class paints happens to do a painting on a dirty canvas. The outcome will be what? Great or mediocre? Most likely mediocre. Likewise for meditators. If a yogi is not honest, then the outcome of this yogi's meditation will be mediocre. When the renowned artist does a painting with first-class paints on a clean canvas, then the painting will be very clear and certainly uh, very uh, impressive. Likewise, when a yogi's mind is pure, upright and even very upright, full of rectitude, then his or her practice will be very clear. And in an earlier discourse, the importance of purity was highlighted uh, to quite some extent. Now, the next quality is certainly that in Pali of Suvajasa, which translates as obedient or compliant. The related noun is Sovajasata, which translates as obedience. So in other words, one should be obedient. Now, obedience is that a quality that is very much favored in the Western world? <laughs> Not really. So at school we tend to be disobedient, at home we are disobedient, we don't take uh, uh, the advice given by our parents. And especially in our present age where, uh, uh, where the self is, uh, the individual is given so much importance. Now, Obedience in the sense of accepting, readily accepting the teaching and certainly the instructions. If, some, if a retreatant has a difficulty in his or her meditation practice and in the meantime wants to have benefits or gain benefits from the practice, he or she will approach a teacher. When the teacher gives then some instructions, some advice, then uh, such an obedient yogi will take these instructions easily and happily implement them in the practice. So it is necessary to reveal one's own shortcomings in order 
you know, shortcomings or simply difficulties in the practice you know, to you know, then receive accurate, adequate you know, instructions from a meditation teacher. Now, a retreatant, upon having defacing difficulties in the practice and then receiving appropriate instructions such a retreatant should consider himself extremely fortunate as if he or she were holding a golden pot in such an obedient appreciative yogi will, according to the Buddha, be very close to the realization of Nibbana. Now, the texts describe instances from the time of the Buddha of cases of obedience. Which case comes to your mind? We have Elder Sariputta who, who had no difficulties taking the advice of a seven-year-old Samanera. When uh, Sariputta's robes, when Sariputta was wearing his robes not even all around, and the Samanera pointed this out. Now, Elder Sariputta, not in any way getting offended or even getting upset, irritated with the Samanera, then uh, spoke to the Samanera, should ever in the future you see another fault in me, please do not hesitate to point it out. Now, out of, so just imagine, here we have one of the two chief disciples of Fatna the Buddha taking advice from a seven-year-old novice. Now this speaks of a great certain deal of obedience and as well as a great deal of what? Pride or humility? Humility. It happens on occasion at certain meditation centers that uh, retreat in certain a few you know, show up. On the one hand side, wanting to practice. On the other hand, however, being rather um, well conceited, stiff-necked and certainly full of ego and rather disobedient. The teacher tells them you know, to do one thing, they'll do the opposite. And certainly this may go on for quite a while. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita 
be one, sir. When on occasion coming across certain such a retreat uh, during uh, interviews or uh, on uh, other uh, occasions, uh, uh, when there's such a retreat and uh, was on uh, retreat, um, and then he would uh, admonish the retreatant maybe once, and if things wouldn't improve, ask the such a yogi to leave. And considering that the venerable Nisadu Pandita had decades of experience and experience in guiding meditators in their practice and decades of studying the Dhamma and practicing the Dhamma and then when some yogi comes along and uh, um, uh, clearly showed uh, disobedience, well, uh, that uh, uh, was quite certain something. Now, the next quality is given as mudu in the Pali scriptural language. This translates as gentle, malleable, soft, pliable. The noun in Pali is mudutta, and mudutta is actually mm, a twofold mental factor. The translation of mudutta is malleability, once again, of the mental uh, body as well as consciousness. So one should be gentle. Now, the venerable side open, the in giving this discourse long time ago, pointed out the following. If a retreatant's mind is tense, is rigid, then the Dhamma cannot arise in him or her. The reason being, that the Dhamma itself is what? Gentle or rigid? The Dhamma itself is? Gentle. There you go. And not rigid. And so, for Dhamma to arise within our stream of consciousness, and certainly to then um, be cultivated over time requires a mind that is equally gentle. The Dhamma is gentle, it's also subtle. In order to have a malleable, soft and pliable mind, it is required that we have mental factors such as faith, confidence and trust that we act on wholesome intentions and also you know, that our mind uh, is sharp. And certainly that you know, we, from the bottom of our heart, cherish uh, the practice of the Dhamma. When these conditions are given, 
then the mind uh, will be uh, will be malleable. Now such a person's mind will be soft. And there can be no effect without certain the corresponding causes. A retreatant needs to stay with the practice and not run away from it. And when one stays with the practice, even though at times it becomes a bit difficult, then only is there or will there be an opportunity for the mind to gradually become softer and softer, more and more malleable. Now, even a very hard chunk of steel can be turned into, let's say, some um, into a blade. If one wants the Dhamma, one needs to be willing to reform one's own mind. The next quality is that of uh, Anati Man. Anatimani in the Pali scriptural language. Atimana is certainly your superiority conceit. Atimani is one who is proud, and the negative marker, Anna, then uh, means not. Proud. So, in other words, certain humble. One should be humble, free of pride and conceit. Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi points out, without arrogance. Those who are very proud usually do not approach a wise person. And especially if one is proud of one's own intelligence or one is proud of one's material wealth, one's certain success in life, in business, or proud of one's high social status. Such people, because of their, because their pride blocks them, will not approach a teacher or a wise person. And at the time of Fatna the Buddha, there were many Brahmins who approached Fatna the Buddha, who engaged in a conversation about Fatna Dhamma. And many such Brahmins who even in the presence of the Buddha, were not able to gain the Dhamma. Only a very few number of, or very small number of Brahmins were uh, able to gain 
near the Dhamma in the presence of the Buddha. And the reason being that either they were humble to start with or managed to reduce, weaken their lesson, their pride and conceit. There are a couple of discourses in the text that nicely describe conversations between the Buddha and certain, uh, some terribly conceited uh, uh, person. So those uh, with conceit will not gain the, will not even be will not approach a teacher, therefore not uh, hear the teachings, therefore will not be inspired to practice, therefore will not gain uh, the Dhamma. But those free of pride and conceit are, are the ones who are close to Nibbana. The next quality is that of Santusaka, or Santusako, one should be content, satisfied. The verb here would be Santusati, he, she, it, or to be contented. The noun would be Santuti, contentment. Now, this is a really important quality that certain retreatants should fulfill, namely to be easily contented. And contented with what they have, with the food and accommodation and the infrastructure offered at a meditation center. And retreatants should not be like you know, people who follow you know, the latest fashion trends or you know, the latest trends in terms of electronic gadgets, etc. Now, Somewhat related to this certain point is subara, namely easy to support, easily supported. One should be easy to support. When practicing in a meditation center, when sweet food is being offered, one shouldn't um, go in pursuit of uh, sour food. When sour food is being offered, one shouldn't be asking for uh, sweet food or uh, extra things. Retreatants who think to themselves, Whatever food is being offered, I will eat, 
and it will sustain my body and it will allow me to practice and it is enough if I achieve the Dhamma and it doesn't matter what kind of food is being served. Those kind of retreatants will perceive the Dhamma. However, those who are fussy by nature and one day ask for this, and next day ask for something else, the third day again ask for something different, such kind of fussy yogis will have years and years to go before they eventually realize the Dhamma. Apakicca, a Pali term that consists of two parts, apa meaning small, little, insignificant, and kicca is uh, your function or is uh, your duty, task, work, and so of few duties. One should have few duties. In this connection, just a brief excursion back into the history of the Mahasi Thathana Yekta, the original or the main Mahasi meditation center in Yangon, Burma. During the very, very early years, the question arose whether lay retreatants should be uh, uh, for instance, you know, sweep the grounds, clean you know, the grounds. And this question was certainly put to the Venerable side of Fatna Burma, and his answer was clearly no. He wanted them, he wanted the yogis to be fully focused on their practice. Now, in Burma, this can be easily um, or you know, it's relatively easy you know, to run meditation centers because you know, the laity, the you know, devotees, are very eager you know, to help with activities or with certain chores you know, such as sweeping you know, the grounds. Whereas in a foreign country, uh, this uh, is not necessarily evident, and hence, as uh, um, most meditation centers in the West, retreatants are uh, requested uh, to perform a yogi uh, job or yogi chore um, while on retreat, but at least with some amount of mindfulness. Furthermore, you know, we're called to live lightly or have a frugal way of living, as Satna Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi you know, translates you know, the Nepali expression Salauka Wuti. When we come on you know, retreat, Ideally, we do not bring our entire wardrobe along. 
wardrobe, uh, wardrobe of fitness shirts and pants and dresses, and maybe another wardrobe of shoes, our entire collection of 40 shoes, but rather we keep it to the absolute uh, minimum. Now, when we bring our entire wardrobe, plus all of our electronic gadgets along, then what's the problem there? Anything wrong with this? Vanderbilt. Uh, rather tree. For you, the wardrobe will consist of <laughs> just one or two sets of uh, the monastic robes. For you, same thing. So for the monastics, no problem. But for the laity, yeah, maybe different. So what's the problem with it? It might be difficult to make a decision. That would be one thing. And uh, if one brings plenty of other things along, then one will have to maintain them. So if nowadays you bring all of your electronic gadgets along, you have to make sure you know, that the, each gadget is uh, charged, and if not, you have to recharge it, and if you have five of those gadgets, uh, you'll have plenty of work to do. And if then this or that gadget doesn't function anymore, uh, and all your you know, most important data are on, are on that particular gadget, then then you're the most calm and peaceful yogi. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, the next point, and I do need to rush a little bit, the next point in the Pali scripture language, and it's a really important one, is given as Sant'Indrio, or Sant'Indriya. One should be controlled in senses. Now, the Venerable Bodhi translates this beautifully as of peaceful faculties. So faculties certainly refers to our eyes, our ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the body including you know, the arms, the legs, etc., the head, and, and the mind. And the explanation is as follows, one whose faculties are peaceful, one whose sense faculties are not agitated because of lust and lust and hatred and delusion and restlessness and so on in you know, the encounter with desirable or undesirable objects. Now, when a retreatant manages to take just this one single aspect into heart and then tries to live this to be of certain peaceful faculties, this alone may have a huge positive impact on one's uh, uh, practice. And with this, as the Venerable Nesaru Sasna back then explained, when one comes, one comes calmly. When one goes, one goes calmly. When one 
eats, one eats calmly, when one dresses, one does this calmly, whatever the activity might be, one displays great uh, calm behavior. Now, <clears throat> the next quality or uh, attitude is given as nebako in the, the Pali scriptural language, and this has been translated as prudent, as of mature wisdom, as judicious. as acting with circumspection. And so, applied to the practice, this then seems to be meaning. Whatever phenomenon, a phenomenon one sees, hears, smells, etc., one contemplates them and reflects on them in a, a profound manner, not in a shallow or in a superficial manner. And out of this intuitive understanding um, might arise. The second last quality is that of apagabo or apagabba in the Pali scriptural language, which translates as not being presumptuously confident and self-assured, not being proud, not being impudent, but rather being uh, modest. And where others might be rather rough and bold and shameless in their bodily conduct or verbal conduct or even mental conduct where others are uh, brazen, audacious, etc. We uh, are modest. The last quality is kule su ananugito or ananugita and satna that satna then uh, relates to greed, Ananugita uh, relates to greed, so without desire, without attachment. One should not be attached to, uh, to uh, families. Now, more could be said with regard to the last point, but we don't have too much time, so I'll uh, rush uh, on. Now, the Visuri Magga contains in its 20th chapter section paragraph 21 advice with regard to the five controlling faculties namely the controlling faculty of faith of energy of mindfulness of concentration and of wisdom the following advice namely when it is difficult to cultivate these five controlling faculties, in particular 
you know, bring them to balance and to sharpen them, then one you know, should um, uh, employ one or the other of the so-called nine ways of sharpening the controlling faculties. And the first one of those being, as the Visuddhi Magad explains, the f- faculties become sharp in nine ways. Number one, one sees only the destruction of arisen formations. Translation is by Bhikkhu Nyanamoli. And we will here focus on the second and certainly third way of sharpening the controlling faculties, namely, and in that occupation, namely seeing only the destruction of arisen formations, one makes sure of working carefully. And the third certainly way of sharpening the controlling faculties is one makes sure of working perseveringly. Now, working, simply put, working carefully refers to working with an, or meditating with an attitude of uh, care and respect. Care and respect with regard to the, or in, in connection with the observation of this or that certain predominant object, but also with regard to one's own practice, that one values one's own meditation practice and attaches highest significance, highest importance to it. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita explained this particular point in the following way. We treat our own practice with utmost reverence and meticulousness. Whatever object comes along, we observe it with this meticulousness. And one way of encouraging this attitude of care and respect is by reflecting on the seven main benefits ascribed to Satipatthana meditation as outlined in the Satipatthana Sutta, beginning with the purification of beings and certainly then and overcoming sorrow and certain lamentation, etc. And as an illustration, as two illustrations for care and respect, is just as when crossing a river on an extremely narrow footbridge without any railing and the river and there's a the river is way down and there's a strong violent sudden current well 
when crossing near such a narrow footbridge, hanging bridge, we need to do this with greatest care and meticulousness and be fully attentive to every step that we take. The Samyutta Nikaya contains an illustration given by the Buddha himself, namely that of carrying a pot full, brimful of oil across mm, or between a big audience that watches the most beautiful girl of the land dancing and singing. And to carry this certain pot brimful of oil without spilling a single drop. If no one were to uh, spill a single drop, there would be a person behind holding a sword ever ready to chop off the head of the person carrying that pot. Now, the person carrying the pot of oil will obviously have to be a hundred percent focused on the body to not spill the slightest amount of oil. And so that type of focus of being centered is certainly required in our own meditation practice. So when we get up, when we sit down, we want to do this with full attention and not in a careless, respectless manner. Now just briefly, when it comes to and the or sorry, and this uh, second way of sharpening the controlling faculties in the Pali scriptural language is certainly given as sake chakiriyaya sampaditi if I'm not mistaken and so the relevant expression is sake chakiriyaya now the third one is given in Pali as Sata Chakiriyaya Sampaditi. Sampaditi means to try to accomplish, to make sure. And Sata, the noun Sata translates as perseverance or continuation. And so one makes sure of working perseveringly. One one pays much much attention that one tries to be with every presently arising object of observation moment after moment without any uh, breaks and thereby preventing mental defilements from infiltrating the stream of consciousness. 
one tries to maintain the continuity of mindfulness by doing one thing at a time, when changing one's posture, breaking up the movements into smaller you know, single units, labeling, carefully labeling, observing and knowing uh, every unit at a time. By paying closest attention to all you know, the details, you know, all the tiny little sensations that go along in opening and closing, you know, the eyes opening and closing of doors, etc., etc. Now, back to our the main topic, namely attitudes. This time, helpful attitudes. And based on what has been explained certainly so far, based on the unhelpful uh, attitudes, learning from those, and then formulating the opposite uh, uh, attitudes, as well as you know, what uh, is proposed in the Metta-Karaniya uh, Metta-Sutta and in the Visuddhi Magga on sharpening the controlling faculties, we come you know, to the following. Namely, we want to practice, maybe to start with the last two, you know, first, you know, namely, we want to practice with greatest care and certain respect. We want to practice um, with devotion to our own practice. We want to practice wholeheartedly. So we give ourselves fully with our heart and mind to you know, the practice. And you know, we want to work in a persevering manner. Now, when we label, observe, and know predominant objects, we want to do this with an attitude that is established in non-greed, non-hatred, in a non-deluded manner, we're free of conceit and not being opinionated about certainly what is happening, not being lazy, not being skeptical. We want to observe objects with a calm and detached attitude, with interest and curiosity, with a relaxed and alert mind, and an allowing mind, a mind certainly that is or with an objective attitudes we observe the formations that as certain they are actually as they actually are with a gentle attitude free of concepts and surrendering to the practice would be another expression and then being capable competent with patience with faith in the practice with rectitude, with honesty, being obedient, gentle, humble, content, easy to support, with few duties, living lightly, of peaceful faculty, discreet, modest, and not attached to families. Now, 
allow me to conclude today's discourse by wishing may we all practice with attitudes that are not based in unwholesome mental factors, but rather may we practice with attitudes that are clearly, firmly established in wholesome mental factors, in beautiful mental factors, and that being the case, may um, our practice yeah, then unfold smoothly, swiftly, and uh, may the peace of Nibbana be ours the sooner the better. And this is it for the discourse, and I apologize for taking so long. So.